the Southside podcast, the Who Am I podcast, that is, with the Southside Church of Christ. This is Brian Dill. I'm Jackson Wells. And we are super excited to have with us our third guest on this show, David Rogers from Evansville, Indiana. Uh, David, welcome. Oh, thanks. Glad to be here, guys. Um, Super excited to be the third guest. Yeah, I mean, you weren't good enough to be the first or second, but nope. uh, <laughs> down the line, I'm sure the first and second were amazing. Right, even though the first one lives in another part of the country, uh, yeah. he was still more important than you. Uh, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> That's this not podcast hard. is going to become the roast of David Rogers. You're right. Yes. So. <laughs> With our guests, we like to start off with just some random questions for you to answer. All right? Oh, okay. And <laughs> sure. I'm down. I right. love this. I love it. So my first question is, you've been a, a youth minister. Mm-hmm. You've worked uh, as uh, planting churches, mm-hmm. outreach, evangelism, and now you're working as the pulpit uh, preacher for mm-hmm. a congregation. So you've had all kinds of different experiences mm-hmm. and responsibilities in the church. So what would you say has been one of your most enjoyable responsibilities as a minister? I would say that we could break them down by the different positions or whatever, but um, I think that's just kind of a, on some level, we would be splitting hairs. The responsibility is pretty much the same overall. Equipping the saints, equipping the saints. Sure. It's just you're fine-tuning a very specific uh, set of saints that you tend to be working with. Right. And how you work with them. Church planning, uh, you know, our focus was first-generation Christians. That's very different. I mean, of course that changed, but okay. that's a very different approach than you would people who have grown up in churches or, or, or whatnot. Right. Um, working with youth, obviously, you know, that's its own set of challenges. And, you know, in pulpit ministry... That's very different as well, but all of it's equipping the saints, trying to get people to appreciate where they are in their faith and then how they can, you know, grow in that that faith and draw closer uh, to God. The interesting thing is the way that people in the church respond to you based on that position. That yes. changes. Oh, absolutely. Massively. <laughs> and I enjoy all of it. Yes. <laughs> uh, second question. Is a cucumber a fruit or a vegetable? A cucumber is irrelevant because they're gross. <laughs> they're gross? Okay. Pickles are the devil's food. I want nothing associated I, with it. I you won't touch it. I'm offended at the question. <laughs> I agree with you. Pickles are horrible unless they're dill pickles that have been deep fried. I can I can deal with those. Interesting. Yeah. That's the only time. We should have taken them to Davos. We got some I don't. Pickles. I mean, I don't even remember the last time I ate a cucumber. I remember being close to a pickle. Close to a pickle. <laughs> but okay. that's it. I remember the time that that you and I and Keaton were at a restaurant that put a pickle on the plate with practically everything. I can't remember where we were. And I just picked mine up and took a bite out of it. And both of you flipped out. Like, oh, right. What well, are you I, eating? I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't associate with you anymore. All right, so third question. What is the worst non-ministry job you have ever had? Oh, what a great question. Um, (laughs) My worst job. I mean, like as an adult, as a kid, you know, I used to have to help with family stuff. 
And that oh, was sure. always like, you know, I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> Let me think. I have to think about this. So I worked at a feed store first. And then, oh, no, I have an answer. Oh, Charlie's. I worked for Oh, Charlie's. Mm, okay. I was literally the worst server you would ever hope to have. <laughs> because I imagine everyone wanted a server kind of like what I want, which is just sort of bring me my drinks and uh, be pleasant. But I don't really want a lot of interaction, you know, right. or whatever. And so I did that. And it turns out a lot of people don't want that. They really want the interaction and the experience. And there was these other servers, and they, man, they were getting like 150 bucks a night or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, I got 40 bucks or in tips. <laughs> so I was terrible. And, um, and I was like, what are you all doing? They're like, you got to have a story, and you got to kind of play up to your different people. I mean, you really got to be a salesman on this. And there was one guy, he used to keep a, a baby picture in his wallet. He didn't have any kids, but he would pull out the baby <laughs> picture and be like, oh yeah, I'm just doing it for this guy. And oh, these people wow. that would tip me like a dollar, he'd get like five bucks. That's awesome. Wow. So it add that up. Awesome. So I was awful at waiting tables because <laughs> I just didn't connect in that way. So I asked him to move me to uh, host. Right, where you're not relying on tips. Right. I got a steady thing coming in. It's a little looser. You can kind of have fun. And I got employee of the month as a host. Nice. Probably got close to being fired <laughs> as a waiter. That's awesome. So just know your place. Yeah. Okay. Just appreciate your place. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So next question. How, you, you worked with Brian in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. Um and you left before he did. Mm-hmm. What about Brian made you want to leave? Sure. It's a good question. It's a really good question. And my hesitation is only because of all the reasons. So, no, Brian was very patient. I remember one of the first questions, and I'm sure he's told you during the interview process when he came on, was like, can you handle noise? Because I'm loud, um, and I have to have noise uh-huh. to work. And uh, I'm still one of the believers in tall tower speakers. Okay. And so, but that really was never an issue. No. He, he's told me about your uh, Icelandic rock or something yeah, like that. I, I don't know. I, some kind of indie theory. rock that would, I would hear playing and be like, what in I, the world is that? I think you were <laughs> Sounds just, of heaven. I think you were playing it just to see what he would do. <laughs> well, no, listen, that's what's funny. So there was this band. They kind of had a moment called Sigur Rose, and no one believed I really liked them. Uh-huh. But I had gone to see them in concert, and they were like, no, this is just an elaborate joke. And I was like... This is costing money and time. I appreciate the fact that you think I would be that devoted to a joke. But we're going to Columbus, Ohio and other places to see them. And uh, we did see them in Columbus, Ohio, me and some friends. What was the name of the band? Sigur Rós. Okay. Or Sigur Rós. I don't know. Any of the listeners that can pronounce that better, uh, forgive me. Comment in the, <laughs> I don't know. Comment down below. Listeners that, that will are going to know even who that, that is. <laughs> you don't have listeners who know who I am, so that's fine, too. <laughs> But uh, no, we met them and well, we tried to, and it turns out they're tiny people. Yeah. And we went behind the venue and they were approaching the um, their their tour bus, and they just paused. And then I knew what it, I knew what it felt like for someone to see you and be terrified of you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, tiny Icelandic people, we're not here to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> so they were Icelandic. Wow. Yeah, they okay. were. Yeah, okay. yeah. They're great, wow. but they're itty bitty people. That's crazy. <laughs> oh man. All right. So last question. Who is the worst superhero ever? The worst superhero. The worst superhero ever. 
That's such a big topic. I um, just had a sense that he would have had an answer so much yeah. faster. David. Well, no, I'm trying to also kind of meta this where I'm like, okay, do you want like a hot take? And it's like one everybody knows <laughs> or we're going for a deep cut. I mean, there's some ridiculous ones. There's probably more ridiculous villains. Like there was one that was in the X-Men at one point called Ice Cream. And his power was to turn into flavors of ice cream. Oh, so man. he would rob banks by melting down under doors. <laughs> what? There was ridiculous. Why was he clown. ice cream? Why wasn't he just like goo? Because it's ice cream. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. It's really bad. Right. So the worst superhero, I find Superman tremendously boring. Yeah. Um, mm. And predictable. And sort of that take. My friend Adam Richardson will really appreciate that. Adam Richardson is a great guy. Um, love Adam Richardson. But Superman's boring because there's really nothing that should be able to stop him, right? Other than a green rock. Right. And the, I mean, okay. He's an alien. So he's got this sort of outsider mentality. I think the more interesting Superman stories were when they did the what if things or these alternate universe things. Like right. um, what if he landed in the USSR? Okay. All okay. Right. That's kind of interesting. But, I, you know, I appreciate the fact that they gave him sort of a, um, an idyllic sort of Midwestern American background. I think that was really great. And I get, and now it sounds like I'm being uh, a Superman apologist, but he, um, <laughs> I think there was a lot of stuff to work there. And his rogues gallery was okay. But after a while, you kind of know the story. Right. And yeah. it kind of wears thin pretty fast. Right. I think some of the other heroes. Had a lot more dynamics. Well, uh, more he, heroes with with legit weaknesses tend to be more relatable. If I can't relate right. to this superhero, then why why am I like him? I mean, like <laughs> he is the quintessential hero. I mean, yeah. like he kicked off so much right. the way that we understand superheroes, especially from that time period. But I think you know I was always much more partial to the Silver Age. But obviously that wouldn't happen unless Superman laid a lot of groundwork. Right. Yeah, um, right. But they just kept. Power creep was a thing, and you know I'm. Oh, I don't think he could fly originally. Superman? Yeah, I think he could leap, but I'm not sure he could fly. Mm, interesting. Yeah, leave your angry comments down below. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure he could do that, but you know, I, someone was going to give me his first appearance. Would I take it? Sure. Uh, well, <laughs> of course. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't even tell it. I would be proud to own that. Yeah. Um, right. As a kid, I do remember when I first got to see Superman number one. And it was it was it was pretty yeah. magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So now we're going to transition into what we what we call the meat of the week. You know, we want to dig in a little bit to a lesson from the Word of God. And this week, as we are talking about, uh, am I a slave? We were thinking that there's a little bit more to this subject than just how it relates to our identity as Christians. And so I think it's important that we take a little bit of time to talk about one of the typical uh, denouncements of the Bible by those who want to say that uh, you can't trust the Bible or it's, it's not uh, as holy and righteous as you as you believe it to be uh, and those folks that are going to say those things are going to say that the bible promotes slavery so how could you trust something that claims to be holy and good but also promotes slavery and so i'm going to let david share 
what he thinks about that. You know, what what have you what have you said in response to people who may have said something like that to you or had that question for you about slavery? Right. Well, I would say first off, no. I'm I'm very opposed to slavery. Just to be, <laughs> yes. If this was any misunderstanding whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, very opposed to it. Uh, yeah. I really encountered that a couple times when there was a there was a guy that was sort of. I guess he was kind of antagonistically opposed to Christianity, but and that was one of his big claims is that if the Bible got slavery wrong, how could we trust it on any other subject? You know, and right. you know he was he was going for a shock reaction, and of he course. would get that sometimes. <laughs> and there would be Christians that would probably attend things he would speak at and may walk out, and of course he would then just you know attack them. You all can't even ha- handle that. But but the problem is is that's just such a. Um, that is such a shallow understanding of what's going on in this. And the Bible is very rich in the way that it looks to edify and lift up life and the treatment of humanity. And, of course, people are immediately going to respond, but what about? Right. Well, sure. Okay. Gotcha. And, and what about those things? But even in the, the context of those cultures that existed where slavery has been you know, quite normal, um, and shouldn't be, but has been quite normal for thousands and thousands of years. When you look at the way that God has responded to that, it's pretty powerful. I mean, even if you're a non-Christian, the story of the Exodus, which is certainly an example of where uh, the Israelites were unjustly enslaved by a Pharaoh who who feared what they might become. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he deemed them dangerous and he deemed them problematic. And so the best way to control them to keep them from allying with you know other nations against Egypt was well let's enslave them and use them right. as a slave class, and they suffered. God heard them, but God was really pulling them out of an oppressive, tyrannical sort of um, government system, and they didn't even understand it. And what was awful was that at time some some kind of fight against it. And what you find is that it's a little bit more complex. You you would think that they would all be cheering and quite excited that we're free. We're free. And right. I'm sure many were. Sure. But at the same time, there were plenty that like, wouldn't it be better that we go back rather than to face <laughs> challenges? Yes. And it shows you that there's some complex things and there's some nuanced things about the human heart. And the human heart has to develop over time. You could have a law, but that doesn't change the heart necessarily. Uh, you can have a lot of opportunity, but that doesn't change the heart no, that's a sad aspect of it. They shouldn't have been made slaves, but then they had to work out of a really complex situation that was awful. Yeah, right, right. But throughout the Bible, God's trying to free people and deliver people. And even right. the expectation on the way that you treat people is extremely high. Uh, yes, yes. Well, and I think that's one of the things that we see emphasized in passages that do address the servant-master relationship in the household is that it is an emphasis on treating them as people, as people that deserve your respect, people that deserve uh, your love, uh, that should not be mistreated just because their position in some way should, it dictates how you would treat them. Right. I mean, when we hear the word slavery... Immediately, as Americans, we have a very particular view of it, and rightly so. It's pretty fresh in our history, if we're being absolutely right. honest. And uh, a lot of the behaviors that took place were, frankly, evil. And um, yes. I have no problem saying that. 
at all and can't be justified. But to think that that, you know, the word slavery encapsulates that alone, we should explore that a little bit, be a little careful in doing that. But because the emotions are pretty high and because it is so recent, that's a tricky thing to expect someone to do easily. Right. Um, so, you know, I think there's got to be a lot of understanding in that regard, too. And, and who am I to tell people how their emotions should be with that particular, <laughs> you know? Sure. So I'll be very, very respectful of that. Um, but when you're looking at it from 2,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago or whatever, Really, it's a bit different than the American concept in some regards. Clearly, the Egyptians seem to treat the Hebrew people as property. Um, right, right. And that seemed to be different with other situations. You know, you're not going to treat your property with the same regards you would treat yourself. And the biblical expectation was largely that... You know, you're not treating them like animals. You're not treating them like objects. You're treating people made in God's image like people made in God's image. Right. And, you know, is that the most ideal situation? Well, probably not. Certainly not. But is there a way that people can be elevated and overcome circumstances like incredible debt or maybe you don't have access to resources that other people do? So there might be some form of protections in that. Absolutely. Which is quite a bit different than owning you, controlling you, Mm -hmm. taking away your agency, uh, treating you as less than. And I think that uh, that's that's where the breakdown occurs is is just the assumption that any time the word slave or slaves or slavery is, is mentioned in any context, that it's the same as the, the South in American history, that's that's the kind of slavery that's in view because that's, I mean, it's just not. That's not what we're talking about in a lot of cases, especially especially New Testament time period. You know, I mean, when, when uh, so many were serving as slaves or servants in homes, they were serving to pay off debts, they were serving because it was the only way they could make a living, you know, those kinds of situations are entirely different from just enslaving someone and treating them as property because of their skin color. I mean, it's just yeah. that's something entirely different. Well, one one of the things you said, you, you interchange the word slave and servant. And, <laughs> right. and, and that's why I love the age we live in, is we can go back and figure out, was whoever writing this section talking about an enslaved person or a servant? And doing research for this episode like depending on what version of the bible it didn't matter if it was servant or slave it was going to be written as slave and so we automatically like you said think about what slaves were like in america and that's the context that we put it in but bond servants is another word that you see in more modern translations that give you an Mm -hmm. accurate representation of what is actually being talked about here right um and so it's, it's important to understand if you were a slave owner and you had this Bible that people regarded as holy and it said something about slaves and you could use it to control people, you would. And that's where that bad rap comes from. <laughs> but the context isn't there. And so whenever you apply this with, with context, it starts to make a whole lot more sense. Well, and I think one of the things that I think is important is, is to recognize the differences between what we see in our history as Americans compared to 
Roman slavery. David, you mentioned earlier a Roman slave could be a Roman citizen. You know, could could Does actually the possibility have, existed? Could have citizenship. There are circumstances right? that would allow for you to come out of that and then have rights as a Roman citizen. Right. Greek culture tended not to allow for that okay. as much. You know, really, that there were some. You know, if you're looking at the non-Christian, non-Jewish world, vastly different perceptions of what that would look like. But when you do look at the Jewish and the Christian uh, expectations for being a slave, servant, or you know even a master, God's expectation was not abuse. It wasn't right. exploitation. Exactly. It wasn't uh, this corrupt thing. Now, as you all just mentioned, did people corrupt it? Well, yeah, of course yes. they did. There's a, throughout history, people have corrupted the Bible to justify all kinds of evil. Mm-hmm. Right. That didn't mean the Bible actually said it. It's just that evil people try to do evil things yeah. and misuse truth to get there. Slavery is no different in that regard. But from a biblical perspective, man, the amount of love and care you should give all people, well, that's just a fundamental Christian or Jewish belief. When yes. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, well, that doesn't mean you get to stop just because a person's a slave status or a poor status or or wealthy. We can flip it to the other side as well. Right. You literally had to give that to everyone to the same degree that Jesus loved people. Tall order. Uh, humans like to create different hierarchies for that. And we also like to create reasons where we can say, well, I would, but that person, you know, (laughs) for whatever reason. Well, that would be sort of taking a misguided approach to what Jesus' expectation was. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that, uh, you know, so much of what Jesus had to deal with in his teaching, what what the apostles dealt with in in their writings after uh, after Jesus' lifetime, uh, so much of, of what I read in the New Testament has to do with relationships, um, our relationships with each other and how we handle that and how we deal with the differences that we have with each other and, and manage that and, and treat each other the way that we ought to be treated. I think it's interesting then that, that in Ephesians chapter 6 and in Colossians chapter 3, we have these places where Paul is trying to deal with household relationships mm-hmm. and he's dealing with husband wife and he's dealing with parent child relationships well he knows that in writing to households in places like Ephesus and Colossae that as a part of the Roman empire there are going to be christian households that have servants bond servants uh, slaves and he deals with those relationships, and they're dealt with exactly like everybody else. It, you know, uh, like you were just saying, David, it, it, the expectation there is that you treat them in the way that that God would have you treat them. There's there should not be something about their status that makes you treat them any differently. And I th- and I think that one of the challenges that some people bring up is uh, why didn't Jesus just tell everybody to release their slaves. You know, why didn't Paul in his writing just say, you need to release all your slaves? You know, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the interesting things I found was that that really wasn't even an option in the Roman Empire because uh, uh, Caesar Augustus in 2 BC passed a law that limited the number of slaves anyone could release. And if you had three slaves, you were allowed to release up to two. If you had four to ten slaves, you could release half of them. If you had 11 to 30 slaves, you could release a third of them. And that was it. You, were, you, were, you were not allowed to release them. 
And I think part of that is is for the good of the servants themselves, because if you just send them off on their own, and now all of a sudden, instead of having uh, an, an income and the opportunities that they had to work in the confines of that household, now all of a sudden they're just on the streets and have to figure out what to do. That doesn't just automatically mean that they're in better shape, you know, and, and that creates a difficult situation for them. And then wh- where do they go? Do they end up being homeless and living on the streets? Or, I mean, sure, all kinds of uh, difficult things. And if I'm not mistaken, it, uh, was it 25%, a third maybe, of the Roman, the population of the Roman Empire was slaves? There was a slave class right, for that? Right, So if you upend that immediately, there are some complicated things. Now, that doesn't address the morality involved or the ethics involved, but I think when you look at the overall uh, purpose of what Jesus was doing, which was to prepare for the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. Life is very different. There's a lot of heart changes that were unfolding. And if those heart changes unfold, the way that people should be following Jesus, well, you are naturally going to have some uh, side effects of that, which would affect the way that people do regard slaves or the practice of slavery. Yes. Because, again, this was not God's intention to create a, a slave class. Humans kind of took that on. Right. So maybe the wiser move is to have a change of heart that would allow for that. And you did see examples of that. I mean, how many... Uh, fantastically faithful people, whether of you know a Hebrew background, you can see that that was sort of a well. Obviously, exile would create problems for owning slaves, but uh, even when they came out of that, it sort of changed their perspective on ownership and whatnot. Right. And while I'm certainly no expert in the history of you know Jewish slave ownership uh, per se, some of you listening can probably quote a lot, quite a bit more. <laughs> uh, my understanding is that it did diminish during that time mm. period. Uh, for sure. Uh, but while it would, might be very natural in the Roman Empire to expect that, there was a lot of historical evidence for showing how they were freeing their slaves or how they may kind of deal with that and allow freedom. Right, right. And I, and I like what you said there about it's it starts with a change of heart. Sure. Uh, and, and it starts with, with a, a change of your approach to that person not just a slave, not just piece of property or something of that nature. You you are now treating them entirely differently. Right, and that's uh, something we can certainly relate to, even in our own American history. How many times do we have some sort of morality law and expecting, well, well that'll stop everything? <laughs> of course it didn't. Right. And you got a whole system of other problems. But when people's hearts change, well, now we're, we're in a different right. We're in a different place, and so if we can have something in place to change people's hearts. We're going to get a lot further with it. And certainly, if we follow Jesus, uh, then our hearts should change and follow um, and follow suit with it. I was thinking uh, back to the Philippians 2 passage. Mm. I mean, can you imagine being a slave owner and then this verse comes to you, you know, especially if people are thinking in terms of the American history context of it. Right. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, and so you're looking at, you know, <laughs> slaves. You can't do that in the chattel system of American history. Right. You failed. Right. right. Not acceptable. So we are clearly talking about a vastly different world and expectation from God uh, yes. to the way we, we treat one another. And clearly he goes on and have, have the mind of Christ. Okay, well, let's have the mind of Christ, which was generally about 
freedom and deliverance and yes. caring for one another and loving one another. Yes. So there's a massive separation between the two concepts. Absolutely. And I think that's why it kind of irks me when when people make these blanket statements about what the Bible does and doesn't condone, mm-hmm. you know, something mm-hmm. like slavery, saying that just because there are these passages where they're trying to mend relationships between uh, master and servant, that does not mean that it is condoning or encouraging something like slavery, and certainly not the kind of slavery that we think of in the American South. Because after all, First Timothy 1 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul does include amongst the people who are ungodly and sinners, enslavers are included in that list. So, I mean, very clearly those uh, who are immorally treating other people, whether they are slaves or in any other way, is is what has got to change and is what is intended. By. Oh, sure, man. If you even look at the details that Jesus goes into and the way we regard one another, don't call each other fool. Right. Don't hold on to anger. Even in Proverbs 6, one of the, the things that God hates is a haughty look. Yes. <laughs> so you have to be so aware of God's expectation is that you regard each other so well that you would not have a haughty look towards one another. Well, that is a, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's quite literal there in Proverbs 6. Don't have a haughty look. Mm-hmm. And we get that, man. When someone looks at you and they've got a haughty look, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you <laughs> whatever. Who do you think you right. are? You know? Um, so that's not acceptable. Well, certainly not abusing or looking down on or mistreating other right. people. Right. All right. So, so I hope that maybe we've we've helped our, some of our listeners with that question that can be difficult to, to deal with sometimes. But now, as we as we kind of turn toward what we typically talk about on this show, as it relates to our identity in Christ, the idea: Am I a slave? Jackson has has been looking at some places in the New Testament where uh, we are referred to as uh, slaves in different ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I'm going to turn it over to him and, and let him talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, we are uh, referred to as slaves several times in the Bible. If you're if you're Christian, specifically Paul is, is one that in, in Romans chapter 6 talks about this. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 it says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? So we're a slave. We are either a slave to sin or to righteousness. And those two can't exist on the same plane. So regardless of whether or not you think you're one or not, if, if you're living in sin, you're a slave to sin. We can choose to not be and be a slave to righteousness. That whole passage continues through verse 20, and it, it kind of lets you know, like, okay, being in God, being a slave to righteousness, that is, it's challenging to submit ourselves to someone else or to, to a higher being. The whole idea of submission becomes what we're really struggling with because mm-hmm. nobody wants to to be the submitted everybody wants to have their own power and so <laughs> whenever we think that we are bigger than sin and I'm not a slave to sin I don't I, I can overcome that we immediately fall right back into that trap and become a slave to sin and so that that was in uh, Romans chapter 6 there was another passage in Philippians chapter 2 it says 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The cool thing we have in common with Jesus is that we are men and women, <laughs> and we can't be like God. And, and Jesus realized that or whenever he came to earth, he was that man, and he had to be the servant to God. He had to submit himself to God. And if we're to be like Jesus, then we have to submit ourselves to God. Again, that idea of servitude. Um, yeah, yeah. So, You know, I think one of the things I really like about the Romans 6 passage is the the way Paul words that there when he says to present yourself as an o- obedient servant or or slave that that phrasing there is is actually what would happen when someone needed to become a slave in some way because they had to pay off a debt or they had to you know start making a living in this way they would go and they would present themselves to someone offering their services offering themselves mm-hmm. as payment yeah, you know, and I, and I think that's really interesting that he uses those words there, or that phrase rather, as a way of describing how we are to present ourselves to God. We are to present ourselves as servants to righteousness. Yeah. Now that's an interesting point because even in the midst of this, you're talking about choice, right? Which means we're immediately not talking again, once again, about slavery in the way that is typically thought about, right? <laughs> sure. So we're talking about choice. I am, I have moral agency, and I have the ability to make some level of choice, and I am going to choose. And it, the passage really makes it clear: you can't be neutral on the situation. There's no middle ground. Right. It's one or the other. That's just a great <laughs> cosmic fact that exists there, and it's kind of laying out as he's done. It's Paul, Holy Spirit through Paul. So of course it's done well. Right. Um, that on that scale, you've got a consequence that's going to unfold over that. One, it's going to lead to death. Wages of sin are death. Uh, and the other leads to eternal life. And so there's a very clear understanding of who you are presenting yourself to. And you get to choose. But even before you make that choice, when you talk about debts and, and what's paid, Jesus has already died on the cross. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, like Romans, was that 57 AD, give or take? Late 50s, we'll mm-hmm. say 57, 58 mm-hmm. AD, when that was written. So, you know, we're almost three decades after that fact. And so right. when people are confronted with this, it's, you know, remembering back to the fact that Jesus has already died, paid for your sins, and now you get to make the choice to respond to that. Mm-hmm. We're in a very different world than the buying and selling of slaves and, and oh, those sort of things. And it's done in such a gracious way. Grace is probably the exact right word there that we uh, get to to choose to respond to, to a God who loves us, is willing to provide for us, who wants us to be spiritually successful, who has constantly wanted us to have not just life but have it more abundantly, mm-hmm. uh, who wants to forgive and forgive and forgive, who's not beating us down, who who wants us to elevate our spiritual being and is also at the same time very concerned with our physical being. The fact that how many Bible passages say that, uh, you know, pray if someone is sick and you can take any right. of your needs to God. There is a deep, deep relationship of great, great concern that exists here. And he's inviting us to choose that. Yes. Just, just submit and follow it. Okay. I mean, to me, it's always amazing when people push back against that uh, because 
what other life do you want? Uh, <laughs> literally the life that's going to constantly bless you in the best way possible. And maybe we don't always understand that. Sure. But, you know, faith is a matter of trust as well. But we trust it and lean into it. And, you know, God provides. He always provides. Even when life is very hard, well, he's always there for us. Sin and those associated with sin, Satan and whoever follows along with that, it is an illusion that they provide anything good to you whatsoever. Right. It's a trap. Uh, in that is suffering and oppression. And in that is, you know, just a, a tyrannical rule. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact contrast uh, right. that we have freedom uh, and yet, in Jesus. And yet both are described as enslavement in some way, yeah. right? Sure, absolutely. Because right? yeah. the, the trap is an enslavement, is that enslavement to sin, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's fool's gold. It's it's not... You know, it's not really a blessing yeah. or an opportunity, but also, as you as you pointed out, the enslavement to righteousness—it's <laughs> uh, a blessing—is is such an incredible blessing to your life. Yeah. When when you understand this, this is the last passage passage that I'll share. But when you understand that it's a blessing, you you do exactly what this verse says. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Whenever we understand that, okay, we need to be a slave to Christ. We need to be a slave to righteousness. Whenever we understand that, we go around and tell people about it. We're, mm. we're more likely to be like, let me let me tell you about this blessing. <laughs> sure. And for those listening who oh, are that was, wondering. <laughs> that was 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Paul emphasizing his his mindset of being a servant, of being a slave to to in order to serve others. That's that's really that's great. One of the things, one of the aspects of what it means for us to be a slave uh, to God or for God or, or to righteousness, I read a quote that I, I liked uh, talking about how a slave is completely at the disposal of their master. And I thought, boy, that's a that's an interesting way of thinking about our position as a slave to sin or to righteousness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are we you know no matter what else is going on in our lives no matter what else we would maybe rather be doing with our time or or anything of that nature we are at God's disposal mm-hmm. um, if we are slaves to righteousness and I think that's a really interesting image at least for me I think if people are resistant to that and I can see where there would be a tendency to that even as a young kid I, I was pretty resistant to authority. In fact, I, I saw my file when I was in elementary school. And, oh, wow. And uh, the second grade teacher had to do this evaluation because this is like for some college project or something. It said resist authority. It was checked twice. I was like, oh, yeah, they'll take, take that, Miss Pence. Uh, she's wonderful. I love you, Miss Pence. Um, and the problem was I wouldn't consider, why would I listen to this teacher? Who are you? Oh, right. You know, why yeah. would I listen to Because I was raised pretty much only family was around or whatever. In fourth grade, it changed because I, oh man, Miss Brewer, she's so sweet and she's so kind and there's value in her. And I get right. it. I get it, right? I get it. I have no problem following someone who there's value in that and there's great respect and they're yes. honorable <laughs> and all that exists. And of course, in Jesus, you have all of that to the nth degree. That then, which no greater can be thought or experienced, whatever. So, why would you not? follow in that that case and i think that's a very human thing i give that as an example because i'm sure if everyone stops and thinks about it you think about the people that you easily follow what they ask you to do 
even if it's someone close to you, like a grandmother or a grandfather and someone you hold in high regard, you're like, yeah, of course. Of course, I'll do whatever my grandmother asked. I do whatever my grandfather asked. Or if you think about governments, well, if I believe in America so much, of course I would serve my country or whatnot. <laughs> of course I would. Right. Well, the greater knowledge and understanding we have of God, that he is not an oppressive figure, that he really has our best interest in mind, and that everything is a truly a benefit, and that you can't cheat him or bribe him or there's no injustice in the midst of that. It's so pure. Why would I not follow that? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Otherwise, that's ego getting in the way when, you know, that yes. rugged individualism of, no, <laughs> I will have my way. You know, I had a friend at one time tell me before he had anything to do with Christianity. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll be a Christian. If God comes down and tells me how to be equal to him, <laughs> I was like, what do you think you are? <laughs> right. Um, that was an interesting comment to make. And he humbled himself over time. Great. Okay. Right. He came to appreciate God in a different way and just realize, you know, that's that's a pretty wild thing to say. You know, I was looking for cover. Is lightning going to strike you dead? <laughs> Man, that's crazy. But the deeper you understand God and the good, the inherent good that comes out of that and what he wants for us, why would I not submit to him, commit to him, mm. and be utterly at his disposal? Right. Of course. Right. More than happy to be. Okay. All right. So I, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. Is there, is there anything else that you wanted to share, Jackson? I have, I have nothing else. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> David, anything else that we may not have covered yet? Uh, I don't think so. I would just encourage everyone to oppose slavery um, <laughs> right. in the world today. It still exists and it's quite evil. So yes, yes, yes. do your part in that. <laughs> so in answering the question, am I a slave? Ultimately, I think based on Romans chapter 6, we would say, yes, we are all slaves, but we have a choice. You know, Are we going to be enslaved to sin or are we going to be slaves of righteousness, slaves to God or slaves to uh, our own desires. And I think that's the choice that each of us has to make. And um, maybe if you're struggling with that today, maybe something has encouraged you today. So we hope that, that you have benefited from this episode this week. We really appreciate David, who, by the way, is with the Washington Avenue congregation in Evansville, Indiana. I don't know that we said that earlier, but uh, we are glad that he was able to join us. We sure hope did. you have a, a great week and look, hope that you will tune in next time. Take care.